0: Okay, so it's an honor, it's a privilege to be speaking this morning about uh, leadership um, in terms of Jesus and principles we learned from Jesus' life. Now, up till now, we've looked at um, a couple of points. Who can remember what we've looked at in terms of Jesus' model and what we've learned from Jesus' life about leadership? What's the first thing we learned? Jesus was mission minded. He knew what he was called to do. He was purpose-oriented. And that enabled him to say no to certain things very easily, he discovered. Okay, the second thing we looked at was Jesus was conceived by, led by, filled with, anointed by, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, even as he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and helped with the Holy Spirit, we also need that. Amen. Today I'm going to be looking at two more. Um, principles that we, learn, we, we glean from Jesus' life, um, time permitting. And um, the first one, were, the first one is that Jesus was secure in his identity. Jesus was secure in his identity. Jesus was secure. I mean, he knew who he was and who he wasn't. And it's really important that we know that as people as well. Secure. But secure comes from uh, the words sitse and "cura," which means without care. And my husband often says that it's not about being careless, but it's being without care of what others think, like undue care. How many of us often think, "Oh well, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder how they see me," and we spend a lot of portion of our mind share trying to control how people view us. Okay, We're not secure if we do that. If I spend a lot of my time shaping my behavior around, well, I must do this because that's how they'll see me, or maybe they see me like that, or that's how they saw me, so I must be like this so that they see me like this. We try to control how people see us, and we can't do that. And all it does is it shows that I'm not secure. secure. Secure is without care of what others think or how we will be seen. And I'm talking about undue care. Of course, we need to care about having a good reputation. But not being so in that matrix of trying to, you know, control how people see us. Jesus was outside that matrix. Jesus lived with the sense of, you know what, I'm safe. Everything is okay. And when we live with that sense of, you know what, I'm safe. I'm safe in God. I'm safe. It's okay. I'm free to be me. It's a place of security. And that's the place where God can use us in ministry. Amen. Yeah. It's in safe environments. And by safe environment, I'm actually talking about the environment of my heart and the environment, my disposition, that I feel free to be authentic and I feel free to love. When I'm not secure, I'm not free to love. Amen. Okay, so we need to be secure. Now, my scripture is Matthew 3, verse 11 to 15. And this is very interesting. I'm going to read it to you. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His wearing fork is in his hands and he will clear his threshing floor, etc. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered why did Jesus need to be baptized? Because John's baptism was a symbol of repentance. Now, did Jesus need to repent? Did Jesus need to repent? No, he didn't. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not need to be baptized to symbolize repentance. And John recognized this. He was perfect. John recognized this, and Jesus knew this as well. But he said to John, listen, you need to do this because I've got to fulfill the will of my Father. Now, why was Jesus baptized? Jesus was baptized because he had to fully identify with the sinners that he was coming to save. Now, can you imagine Jesus the perfect Son of God, and He knows this, but others don't necessarily fully you know, understand this and know this. And He's coming, and He's being baptized for repentance, and then He's going to stand and claim that He's the perfect Son of God. Can you imagine people looking on... I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I can imagine people saying, but, but He was baptized for repentance, and now He's claiming to be God's Son, and He's supposed to be perfect. And with all of that going on, Jesus still was baptized. Why? Because he knew that that was the Father's will. That he had to be secure to do it. Are you with me? Yeah. He had to be secure to say, you know what, John? I'm the perfect son of God. I don't need to be baptized, but baptize me because it's the Father's will. Even though people looking on might not understand why I need to be baptized. That's right. Okay? Now, Jesus fully identified with us as sinners and he was baptized in obedience to the Father's Will? Do you fully identify with those who's God, who God has called you to? Do you fully identify with them? Are we willing to remove our kingly robes, whatever we think they are, that we attire ourselves with, whether it's graces, it's privileges, it's so called rights, and do what God is calling us to do? Be obedient to the Father's will. And be so secure that it doesn't matter if we misunderstood or labeled or judged incorrectly. Because in order to do that, we need to be fully secure. Jesus could do all those things because he was fully secure in his Father's love, he was fully secure in who he was, and he could do that. We need to come to a place where we. We're free to do whatever God is calling us to do, removing all our things that we carry, our name tags, our labels, our position on our door, our name tag on our door. You know, whatever we call ourselves, we have to be able to. That's right. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 8 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. What do you cling to? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Wow. He took off all those things so he could identify with us and save us. Are we willing willing to make ourselves of no reputation for the cause of Christ? I don't know about you, but I find it difficult just to walk up to someone I don't know in the street and say, Hi, and start a conversation. It's not in my natural makeup. It's not in my natural makeup to walk up to someone and just start sharing the gospel. I find it difficult. Does anyone else find that difficult? It's hard, okay? But are we willing to speak out and share the gospel when God requires us to, when he wants us to? Are we willing to just die to that? Whatever, we, whatever image that we've created that we're wanting to project, are we willing to just die to that and say, Lord, I'm in you, I'm secure in you and how you see me and I want to be obedient to you no matter what? Because we need to be secure in order to do that. Can we stand for truth and integrity in our businesses, families, friendships, governments, if you're in government, okay, when others are begging the truth? Can we stand for the truth when others are going to ancestral things and say, I'm secure. My identity is not in my family. My identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm rejected by my family, that doesn't matter because I'm a Christian before I'm a... I'm a Christian before I'm that. That's my identity. That's why my security is in that. And it frees me to say no to things that I need to say no to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how John saw the situation. He said, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Jesus was ministered to by John. And John is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. But Jesus was ministered to by John. Are we willing to be ministered to by those we perceive to be lower than us? Can you be ministered to by those you perceive to be below you, whether it's in kingdom rank? You know, pastor, I can't be ministered to that by that person they gave their life to the Lord yesterday. Really? I can't be ministered to. That's my child. I honestly, can't minister. You know? Maybe by a societal perspective, I can't be ministered to by that person. She's a woman. I'm a man. I'm above that. Go that. Maybe the person is the wrong color. Maybe you or a different colour to that person. <laughs> I <don't want> to... <laughs> maybe it's by different maybe you say I can't be ministered to by that person. That person's the wrong colour. I know what that, that people group did. Oh well God, you know, maybe it's a dropout. Maybe it's someone who never finished or maybe it's someone who's less educated than you. Maybe you've got multiple degrees, the person didn't even finish the trick or O level. They c- I can't possibly be ministered to by them. <laughs> That's pride, hey? Yeah. Maybe it's a homeless person. We can be ministered to a homeless people. Are you, how okay are we with not being recognized by perceived authorities and leaders? You see, John was speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying, there's one here who you don't even recognize. Jesus wasn't recognized by the religious leaders and authorities, but he was secure. Jesus was secure. He didn't have to be recognized by the perceived authorities, the religious authorities of the day. Are we that secure that it doesn't matter if the pastor doesn't recognize my gifting? That it doesn't matter if my boss doesn't recognize me? It doesn't matter if my that person there who I idolize doesn't recognize It doesn't matter. Jesus wasn't recognized. And he was allowed himself to be ministered to by someone who was less than him. We need to be humble enough to realize that God may use us to minister to those who He's calling to greater things than us. You might be ministering to someone right now, but one day they may be ministering to you much more powerfully than you ever ministered in your entire life. Do, do we know that? Yes. Are we willing to recognize that God may give us a grace and eyes to see the treasure and the gifting in people before it's fully through, uh, come to fruition? Amen. Yeah. We need to be fully secure in order to do what we got to do and be ministered to by whomever God chooses to minister to us. And he does minister to us to people. Whether we like it or not, we will never be an island. Full stop. God made a body. He made a church for a reason. I will never come to be everything that I'm called to be outside of his church, outside of relationship. It's just the way he established it. If we are not secure, we will not see past our own egos, our own need for recognition, our own need for status, and the praise of man will blind us. Yeah. We will never see the treasure in others, and we, and, and it will become a snare, because we, we receive the honor that comes from man, we receive the rejection, we receive the fear of man, we become bent towards man. We become ensnared by that we have to be secure. Jesus was secure, we have to be secure. Jesus said in John 5, I do not receive the honor from men. Wow. I do not receive the honor that comes from men. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? You see, in order to live in a place of security, I've got to know whose honor I'm seeking. I've got to know whose will I'm pursuing. Because if I seek your honor, I'll always be bent towards you. And I'll be like, you'll have the remote control for me and I'll always be doing what I think you want me to do. Hey, that's not a place of freedom. But if I say, thank you, thank you, that's kind. You you say something to me, you give me honor. Thank you, that's kind. But in my heart, I don't receive it. And I go before God and I say, Lord, what are you saying to me? I receive the honor that comes from you, Lord. I'm free because then I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm not gonna be bent towards you. And we need to live in that place. That is a place of security. Matthew three verse, uh, Matthew three verse eleven. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom I love. With him." I am well pleased. And you know that Jesus carried that emotional object constancy with him his entire life. He knew that the Father delighted in him. He knew that he pleased the Father. He sought the the honor that comes from the Father. He was secure in his relationship with God. It didn't matter when the Pharisees tried to kill him multiple times. It didn't matter when his disciples left him because they didn't understand. It didn't matter when he fed the people and he poured out his life for 5,000. He poured out his life for them. Even when he was tired, we're going to look at that just now. Then they try to force him to be king because they want a political deliverer. Remember, we looked at that. They want a political deliverer, but Jesus knew that he came to bring them spiritual freedom. And they were fake, and they ended up coming after him because he fed them. It doesn't matter. All of that, he could still love. His heart didn't grow hard because he was secure, and he was responding and doing what he saw the Father doing. Jesus carried that emotional object constantly wherever he he went, do you feel that? When you're walking out of here, when you're walking in your home, when you're walking into your church, uh, into your office, do you feel that, you know what? God delights in me. He delights in me. Sometimes I feel like when I'm playing piano, I'm like, Lord, I just love playing piano. I just feel His delight. We've got to be able to be secure. Lord, I just know You delight in me. When we live in that space, when You reject me, it doesn't affect We secure in it. Do we carry that sense of the Father's delight and pleasure? When that is the loudest voice, the other stuff doesn't matter. Amen. When my Father's voice is the loudest voice, your voice, yes, it's there. Yes, it can hurt me, but it doesn't touch me in my heart. Amen. Perfect love drives out fear. I've got to carry God's perfect love towards me. We've got to love ourselves. Amen. I find it interesting that this seal of the Father's approval happens before Jesus has even started his ministry. Isn't that beautiful? Before he's even officially started his ministry, before he's done the first miracle, the Father gives him that that a seal of approval. But the other thing I find interesting is that he's just done an act of obedience. Remember, he said, this is the Father's will that I be baptized publicly. So he's walked in obedience before he's even started his ministry. And that's when God's seal of approval came. So Jesus was secure. He was a secure leader. He was a secure man. And we need to be secure. I want to give you a quick example of an insecure leader. Such a textbook example. Um, from 1 Samuel, it's an example of Saul. And he was told that when you go and you kill off the Amalekites, destroy everyone, destroy everything, nothing must remain. But you know what he did? He saved King Agag, and he saved the best of the plunder because he had an idea of what he wanted to do. And the people wanted him to do something with it. And so Samuel the prophet comes to challenge him and says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like divination, arrogance like idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Wow. Wow. Because Saul was insecure and he was afraid of what the people said, and the people wanted him to do X, Y, and Z with King Agag and the plunder, because of that, he was rejected as king because he didn't listen to what God said. Can you see the danger? When we are not secure, it can be a trap because we cannot obey what God is telling us to do. And when we don't obey what God is telling us to do, we cannot fulfill what God has called us to in our lives because we are not secure. Security is is really important. When we're not secure, we crave approval from man, and it becomes a snare that entraps us and leads us to disobedience. Maybe it hasn't led you, but it can lead you to disobedience. And I have two questions. Is your insecurity, and all of us are insecure in some area or other, if we're honest, is your insecurity hindering your obedience to God? Is your insecurity causing you to disobey God? Because if it is, we need to come before God and say, Lord, bring healing. Lord, set these things right in me. Amen. Amen. So Jesus was secure. That's the first point. The second thing that I'm wanting to look at in this um, particular point is that Jesus, I knew his identity. He knew who he was. He was secure in his identity. Identity is just who am I and whose am I? Who am I and whose am I? Do you know who you are? If you don't know who you are, you will be a dangerous leader and a possible liability. Mm. To whom do you belong? Do you know to whom you belong first? Because that will determine who has ultimate say of your life. Are you first a near Because then my family owns me and I'll do what they want. Are you first a musician? Are you first a businessman? Are you first a, I don't know, what are you? Who are you? Because that's who owns you. To whom do you belong, and who has ultimate say over your life? What are you first? If someone, if someone, if you were to describe yourself to someone, would you say, well, I'm a black female? That's the first thing you say. I'm a black female, I'm an African, I'm a white male. Or would you say, I'm a Christian? Am I a foreigner first? No, I'm a Christian first. That's right. How do we define ourselves first? Who are you first? And whose are you first? Are you yours? Is your time yours or is it God's? Who is Lord of your heart at the end of the day? Not only on Sundays between 9.30 and 11.30. But when you walk out that door, who owns your heart? Who really? Where's your identity and whose are you? Matthew 4, verse 1 to 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Forty days, forty nights, he fasted and became hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God. How many of us hear that in our hearts? Or we get that sense of, if you really, if, and it's not even may not even be words, it's a feeling we get. Hey? If you really are, tell these stones to become Lord's bread. Prove it. But Jesus said, no, this is what the scriptures say, and he used the word of God to come against the devil. The devil was questioning who Jesus was, and he was questioning Jesus' authority. But Jesus was secure in his identity. You know, I found myself in a situation the other day where, you know when you've been known by a certain group of people like this, and they don't actually know any of this about you, and then suddenly they see some of that creeping in and showing, and they almost can't believe that that's really you? And so they'll say quit, they'll say, you know when people say things to kind of play the grand equalizer role, I hate it when people do that, when they just want to put you down to put you into your, and I'm like, I'm just smiling and I think they don't actually know me, you know, and there's a side of me which rises up almost wanting to show them, do you know that feeling, we just, well I'm just going to show you, but what is that, that means that if I have to show people, then I'm not secure, because whether you see it or whether you don't, it doesn't change who I am, hey. We gotta be secure. If you really are, no, I'm secure. I don't need to prove anything. I can just say, Well, I am beloved of God. I am, this is who I am. Even if I say it to myself, I'm secure. The enemy loves to question our idea. Do you really think that you can by yourself stand up against your family when they've been doing this for hundreds of years? And you can do you really think you're gonna change anything? Well. I'm just going to stand up for the truth and God can do the rest. Amen. We don't, when we feel the need to show people who we really are, we actually need to stay, take a step back and say, well, who am I really? Who am I? Because if that's the image that I'm projecting, if that's my identity, if that's the first thing that I want people to see, is that, is that right? Should it be that? If you need to see this about me, and not that I belong to Jesus and that's enough. There is something wrong. Paul often tells the story, he's walking on campus and um, his pastor at the time, sorry my love, I'm showing your story. His pastor at the time saw him walking with one of the other pastors in the church and he was like, and he wasn't. And Paul wasn't a pastor then in that church. And he found something inside of himself. saying, ooh, that's good. My pastor is going to see that I associate with this. You know with this other pastor you know you'll see me in that type of light and the holy spirit just come them him and said what other names do you need to attach to yourself apart from jesus you're a christian yes and we do it with names don't be brand names brand names what genes we do it we like to attach names calvin klein i don't know i don't want to mention too many nike i wear nike we like to attach names to ourselves because it gives us a sense of Something, but really, at the end of the day, our identity needs to be, we are Jesus's. amen. We belong to Jesus. Have a really powerful story here. Um, it's written, penned by uh, Brandon Manning, and I'm going to read it to you. Can I read you a story? Yes. Powerful, powerful. By a nun. It's about a nun, a very old nun. This is Brandon Manning. He says, "I will never forget a retreat experience years ago in the Midwest. It was a rather large gathering, about seven thousand people." An invitation for healing prayer followed each night's service. I would go into a side room and meet with those who felt compelled to come. On one particular night, the line extended well beyond midnight, and after finishing, I went straight to bed, not even taking my clothes off. I was so exhausted. About 3 a.m., I heard a rap on the door and a squeaky little voice, Brayman, can I talk to you? I opened the door to find a 78-year-old nun, and she began to cry, Sister, what can I do for you? We found two chairs in the hallway and her story began. I've never told anyone this in my entire life. It started when I was five years old. My father would crawl into my bed with no clothes on and touch me, and I had to touch him. He said it's what our family doctor said we should do. When I was nine, my father took my virginity. By the time I was 12, I knew every kind of perversion. Brennan, do you have any idea how dirty I feel? She's 78. She's lived with it her entire life. I've lived with so much hatred of my father and hatred of myself that I would only go to communion when my absence would be conspicuous. In the next few minutes, I prayed with her for healing. Then I asked her if she would find a quiet place every morning for the next 30 days. Sit down in a chair, close her eyes, and pray this one phrase over and over. Abba, I belong to you. It's a prayer of exactly seven syllables. It corresponds to the rhythm of our breathing. Abba, I belong to you. Through her tears, she agreed, yes, I will. One of the most moving and poetic follow-up letters I've ever received came from this sister. In it, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace she'd never known in her 78 years. She concluded her letter with these words, A year ago, I would have signed this letter with my real name and religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve, but from now on, I'm Daddy's little girl. Isn't that powerful? The healing that comes when we know whose we are. See, the enemy loves to put labels on us from the past. We even put labels on us from the past. We identify ourselves with those labels. There may be sins that were committed against us. There may be sins that we committed. Maybe they're how we see ourselves or how we were seen. What labels have you accepted as part of your identity that is not who God defines you as? Have you labeled yourself? How have you labeled yourself? See, the Bible says that in Christ, I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Isn't that powerful? I'm a new creation. That stuff that happened before. That's covered in the blood. It's not part of who I am. I'm Abba's. I belong to Him. And I'm a new creation. You see, our identity determines our behavior and our morality. Our identity determines what we do. Like Paul often says, if I believe I'm a cow, I'll leave this church and I'll go eat grass when everyone else is going to eat. Whatever we eat. We behave and we live out how we see ourselves. So it's important that we see ourselves aright. Jesus' leadership. We talk about Jesus and his identity. Matthew and Mark place Jesus' temptation. If you look at Matthew and Mark in the Gospels, they place his temptation directly after his baptism, but Luke inserts a genealogy. If you go and look, you see Luke inserts a genealogy between his baptism and his temptations. And some people say that because Luke his genealogy by describing Jesus as the son of Adam, the son of God, some say that Luke intended us to associate Jesus' temptations in the wilderness with Adam's temptation in the garden. Okay? Both were the son of God. Both were born sinless. Both were representative heads of the human race. And in essence, both experienced the same three temptations. Now listen to this. Adam faced his test in secret and his sin was imputed to all human beings. Jesus faced his sin in secret, faced the temptation in secret, and we can all get righteousness imputed to us if we believe. See, what we do in secret matters. But what I do in secret depends on my identity, and it depends on how I see myself. But what I do in secret will impact, and it will come out, and it will be seen. Amen. What we do in secret It really matters, and Jesus knew that. And he was insecure in his identity, and he acted and he lived out the Son of God, the perfect Son of God. When I belong to God, it helps me make certain decisions. It helps me make certain decisions. I don't do certain things because that's not what a Son of God does. It's easier. Amen. And there's a grace to do that. Okay, as leaders we will go through tests and we will go through tests of identity and the enemy will say, If you really are and we have to know who we are so we can stand and we can make the right decisions. We have to settle, be settled in our heart whose we are and who we are. Amen. That's right. Now Jesus in Luke twenty two said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me, yet your will be done, not mine. Imagine that. If you're willing, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I don't know how many of us will be able to do, well, none of us will be able to do that, but how many of us face the situation and we don't pass the test because we haven't decided before whose I am and who I am. You see, when I get into a test, a test of identity or a test, it's too late to decide There, oh Lord, please show me who I am. No, it's too late. I have to decide before who I am and what I will choose. Then when I get into the situation, I already know it's God's will, it's not my will. Boom. And it's settled. So I think a lot of trouble that we have with decision making would be made easier if we just did what Jesus did. We just decided beforehand, it's your will, Lord. So when we read the word and we read certain things, it's it's not just like, wow, wow, you this is God's, though is not the word, but this is God's word and that's what I do. Jesus' identity had consequences. We can't wait until we're in the middle of a test of identity to decide whose will wins out. You know, I practice music and I try and do this with my kids often. You know, but three is a lot and you practice half an hour every day with three is quite a bit of home or whatever, but I do my best. But there's one in particular and every, and I do the most practice with this one and I'm not going to name it, but every practice a large portion of our practice is spent determining who's actually really in charge. <laughs> Who is really in charge? How many times we'll do the song, how will you play it slower, will you count out loud, will you repeat your scale? Sk- it's like it's a constant battle of the wills and it's exhausting. And, so, and sometimes I kind of, it's easier for me to think, let him think that he's in control and then I just shape it. <laughs> Us. Like most of the time on earth, it's a battle of who's really in charge. You know? Let it not be our portion. I don't want to be that no child. Okay. When we are clear about our identity, these basic questions of life are answered. Who am I? Who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? What is of ultimate value? And who's in charge? These become very easy to answer when our identity is, is secure. Now, I think a challenge we have in this day and age is where we link our identity to our performance. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. We look at sporting and we take that and we apply it to all of life. And everyone wants to be number one. Everyone wants to be number one. Everyone wants to be the best. And when you're the best, then you feel good. But how many people are doing that and not everyone can be number one?
1: And if God wanted
0: it that way, he would have made it that way, but there'll only be one number one and one number two and so on and so forth. And you know what? If I'm number five, I'm not a loser. I just came fifth this time. But watch this space. No, i <laughs> <are you> kidding. <laughs> no, i <are you> kidding. <laughs> we can't all be number one. Okay. okay? We see it in Jesus' disciples. Luke number nine. Luke chapter nine, verse 46 to fifty. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. They had the same problem back then. We have it today. They had the same. Jesus' disciples wanted to be number two. Jesus was number one. They knew that. They wanted to be number two. They were arguing about who would be vice president, you know? And Jesus calls them and he said, Anyone who welcomes a little child welcomes me. Why did he use children? Because children had zero significance in Jewish society, they had no voice, no status. And he was basically saying, If you can humble yourself and welcome this, then you're great. He also went on to say, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now Jesus revealed his values right there. They all wanted to be number two, number three, number four. Power hungry, power hungry, rank hungry. How many of us are power hungry? We want titles, we want rank, we want power, we want authority, we want influence. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when we begin to measure ourselves and measure others and measure success by that, we're not measuring success by how Jesus measured it. Because he says here, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, the demons objected to us in your name. We got power. The demons bleed. We could do incredible ministry, deliverance, healings. Wow, it was powerful. And what did Jesus say? He said, do not rejoice in this. And he says, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you're my children. Rejoice because you're a child of God. Don't rejoice about that. That's God's power anyway. It's not your power. (laughs) Don't ever delude yourself. (laughs) Okay. Jesus told them to rejoice because they belonged to him. Not because of what they had done or how they had performed. We have to change how we view things and measure things. Jesus measured a man's greatness in terms of love for and service of others.
1: Not in terms of
0: fame, accomplishment, status, gifting, perceived position, or wealth. How do you measure success in your life? How do we measure success in the church? Do we measure it how God measures it? In order to do this, we have to be fully secure. Because the world out there, everyone wants to be number one. And you're someone if you're number one. And to be different, we have to be secure. I want to read you a story. It's not a story. Can I read you a very powerful testimony of a man named John Howard? Now, John Howard, you may not have heard of him. Um, He was a contemporary of the, the Wesley's. Um, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and George Whitfield, William Carey, great names. A lot of us are familiar with these names, but we might not be so familiar with John Howard. And I'm going to read to you about him. John Howard, since he works behind the scenes, his name did not have as high a profile as the others that I just mentioned. In 1775, when he was just 29, Howard lost his wife. As he sat by her body, heartbroken over her death he heard a catastrophic earthquake had struck Lisbon, Portugal, and thousands of people had died. Even today, that earthquake is listed as one of the most devastating in history. Survivors sent out an urgent call for help worldwide, and Howard made the commitment that, despite his personal grief, he would take the next boat to Lisbon and provide whatever help he could. He booked himself on the English ship Hanover, but en route, a French mercenary vessel seized the ship. England and France were at war at the time. Along with others, Howard was thrown into a dungeon where he was deprived of food, water, and sunlight. The hellish conditions in the jail utterly shocked him. One he only read of the conditions in a history book to grasp the cruelty of it all. In that brief incarceration, Howard's soul awakened to the horrible conditions in European prisons and to the degradation and abuse inflicted on human beings for petty crimes. Howard found one man who would die after rotting in prison for 10 years. His crime? He owed tradesmen a mere seven pounds. Howard's heart could no longer endure the abuse without trying to change his world. Interestingly enough, years before, when he was only 24, he penned these words in his journal. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Here on this sacred day in the dust before the eternal God, I cast my guilty and polluted soul on the sovereign mercy of the Redeemer. O compassionate and divine Lord, save me from the dreadful guilt and power of sin and accept my solemn, free, and unreserved surrender. Look upon me, a repentant, a repenting and returning prodigal. Thus, O Lord, I am humbly bold to covenant with thee, ratify and confirm it, and listen to this, and make me the everlasting monument of thy mercy. Make me the everlasting monument of thy mercy. Glory to God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost forever and ever. Amen. No one, especially Howard himself, could have guessed what would happen in his soul during those few hours in prison in answer to the prayer that he prayed five years earlier. In the years to come, he would stand before parliaments and rulers and lawmakers until he changed the course of history. Wow. In Europe, nation after nation introduced prison reform bills. His impact was felt in the Bastille, the French Galleys, the prisons of the Spanish Inquisition, the Lazarus of Turkey, as a tribute to his service, his statue was the first to be placed in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. When you read his journal, listen to this, you see notation after notation of his desire that his name not be exalted, but that his cause never be forgotten. That his name not be exalted, but that his cause never be forgotten. He wanted to be a monument to God's mercy. When you read about lives like this, it makes any desire on our part to be number one, frankly, pathetic. Yeah. And that comes from this book. makes it pathetic. You see, he was so secure and he was so passionate about his cause and he had the love of God so much in him that he did what he needed to do and he didn't need his name to be number one. He didn't need us to remember his name, but he wanted his cause not to be forgotten. And he met, if you think about it, he met with his purpose in terrible conditions. He met, and sometimes we do. We meet with them in difficult situations, but we have to be secure and say, "Lord, make me a monument to whatever You want in me to make me. May I be secure in my identity in You. That it doesn't matter if people don't recognize me or it. it doesn't matter if my name isn't remembered. But the purpose for which You called me will stand. Amen. 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 I'm gonna end there because of time. So we've learned over the past few weeks, just looking at this portion of the School of Leadership, um, we've learned that Jesus was mission-minded, he was aware of his purpose, he knew what he was called to do and what he wasn't called to do. we learned about him being empowered by, filled with, um, led by, enabled by the Holy Spirit, and that we need to do likewise. We've also learned today that we need to be secure, and we need to be secure in our identity and in God's love. So I just want every person, you can close your eyes. I just want to pray and pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that we've heard your word. We've heard your word. We've looked at the life of Jesus. We've learned from you, Lord Jesus. And we present ourselves before you. Just do this if you agree with my prayer. You don't have to do it if you don't agree with it. And Lord, we come before you today to surrender. And we say, Lord God, that our names don't have to be remembered. And we don't have to be number one, Lord. But we want your purposes for our lives to be fulfilled. And we want the fruit of our lives, Lord God, what you do through us to have to be lasting, lasting fruit. We want to be able to say, Lord, you established us as a monument to something of what you wanted. We want to be able to look back in our lives and say, we submitted we surrendered to your will, Lord. We were wholly submitted to everything you wanted us to do. We were secure in our identity in you. We were secure in your love for us. And we loved in spite of. Your love was shed abroad and, and, and we did it in spite of your God. And we just, this morning we say that we consecrate ourselves to you, Lord, for your purposes. We ask that you would carry on this journey of making us secure in you of helping us to be straightened toward God and not bent toward man. I pray this morning for every person who has a heart that is wounded, has been wounded by family or by those who who, who love them or they thought they were loved by these people. I pray this morning, Lord, for a healing right now in hearts, for a healing and a freedom, Lord. We pray this morning for ourselves and our minds, would be aligned, Lord Jesus, with your mind. We would have the mind of Christ. We would see life as you see it. That our values would be reflected by your values. Lord, that we would measure and weigh and judge ourselves the way that you do, not according to the world's standards. And we thank you, Lord God, that you continue doing this in our hearts and in our lives. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Make us more like you, we pray this morning.